Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. We are in a series uh, going through the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. You guys can open on up there now. We'll be bouncing around all over the place. So I would love if you'd have your Bible with you this morning, uh, open in front of you. We'll be dancing all the way in between Acts 2 through Acts chapter 6. Uh, We said in week one of this series that really the template, the blueprint for the entire book of Acts is found in chapter one in verse eight where it says, and you will, the apostles, the disciples, the the followers of Jesus will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them so that they can be his witnesses in the city they're living in, in the region that they're living in, and all the way out to the outermost parts of the earth. And without their faithfulness to that mission, you and I would not be here today. You tracking with like, we are sitting here in Loveland, Colorado, not in Jerusalem, right? And so, We talked about that week one. Last week, we did a different kind of service. I preached for 53 minutes. And so I apologize. And also, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for making it through the whole sermon and then also coming back this week. It, you know, really does my heart good. Um, We preached you the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We talked about all that that phrase means, a little bit about what it doesn't mean. And then we simply just asked that God would do something special in our midst. And I got to tell you just a few of the testimonies that came from last week. There were several that trickled in, but there was one that really blessed me. Um, a young lady who wrote in just said, hey, I've, been, I've been battling depression for the past couple years. And there was something that happened in that moment when Austin prayed and it was something to the effect of, uh, we just asked God that you would, you would take away what the enemy means to destroy in this moment and the depression or the weightiness that would come. And she said, in that moment, I felt something break and I felt this deepness to my breath that I hadn't felt in a couple years. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? There's another person that called me later in the week and said, hey, in, in the moment, I didn't feel anything, right? And I was blessed by that, just the courage to say, hey, I, I didn't feel anything. But later in the week, I had a conversation with my dad that Went, went in a certain direction that I've been trying to get that conversation to go for, for years. And all of a sudden in that moment, I felt like I had the power of the Spirit there to take the conversation where it needed to go. Isn't that cool? And then, yeah, we can, cl- if we're going to, hey, listen, if we're going to clap, let's commit. All right. Yeah. Um, and then the third one, this, this probably blessed me just as much as all of them. I left here from Sunday, eager for the Holy Spirit to fill me up, eager to have an encounter with God. And I didn't feel anything, and I haven't yet, but I left hungry. I left eager for that to happen in my life. And hear me, like the story ends there. That's the end of the story. But again, hunger is the currency at which the Holy Spirit is going to move. I got to believe that. That if we just continue, and the point of last week was not just to say, hey, we're going to have this one-time thing where we ask for the Holy Spirit. No, the point of last week was to say, let's make this a pattern where we're asking for a filling of the Holy Spirit. I'm on my way to drop my kids off at school. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you fill me up with everything I need to have the right conversation before they walk in those doors? Holy Spirit, would you be with me before I go and have this conversation with my spouse about this thing that has been hindering our marriage for a little while? Holy Spirit, would you be with me now as I come and I'm about to have this conversation with a coworker? Holy Spirit, would you come? I'm having this anxiety. I'm having this depression. Would you fill me up right now and loose me of that in Jesus' name, right? That is the pattern that we're looking for. And if that whet your appetite, let me just say we practice this every single month at Encounter Night. We practice it every month in Encounter Night. Holy Spirit, come. Do what you want to do. And so I'd love to just even right now, this is no official announcement. You'll get the announcements for Encounter Night coming up in the next few weeks. But come to Encounter Night. 
where that is our heart posture the whole time. We ended last week by saying the third purpose of the Holy Spirit is to unite the people of God, right here, unite the body of Christ for the purpose of advancing his mission powerfully. This, this is the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to, in some way, to bring us together as the body of Christ, to unite us together towards a common mission, towards a common goal. I, I love the story in John chapter three, where there's this Pharisee, a religious leader who knows the book, okay? He knows the Bible and he comes to Jesus and he's like, teacher, what's up with you? What's going on? You're doing all these things. Clearly God's with you. And Jesus is like, you must be born again to receive what's happening here. And Nicodemus, what does he say? This is, this is one of those that like, it belongs in the story. Like the Bible is not boring. Your life might be boring, but the Bible is not boring, okay? Bible's crazy. This grown man who is a religious leader of the day says, if I'm gonna be born again, do you mean I gotta crawl back up into my mother's womb so that she can re-deliver me as a human being? But no, what, what Jesus is alluding to is saying, no, but that, that which is born of the flesh is going to bring flesh. That which is born of the spirit is going to bring the spirit. What you have to experience is this new birth in Christ. Every single person in this room who has been brought into Christ, baptized into Christ, like we talked about last week, has, is now belonging to the family of God. And so when we say things like we belong to the church, we're not just saying I belong to a church in Loveland, Colorado. We're saying I belong to the church, the body of Christ across time. Holy Catholic Church, that is what it says in the Nicene Creed, is that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. The, the, um, what that word means, don't be scared by the word Catholic, is not Roman Catholic. That means universal. Like we belong to the church across all time, the believers who were and the believers who are yet to come. We all belong to the, the church across the globe right now. And we belong to a church uniquely and specifically here in Loveland, Colorado. This is Good Shepherd Church. And have you ever wondered to yourself, I'm sure you have, I think about it often as a pastor, but why are all these churches so different? Right? Even, even when I say the word church, you are bringing into that word a whole bunch of your history and relationship with the church that you grew up in. So maybe it's, you know, the beautiful house or the beautiful church on the hill that was white and had a steeple. And you, you dreamed about getting married in there one day because it was just so beautiful and there was stained glass all over the place. Maybe church for you is a place uh, where, where you have these fond memories of, of you and your family and your mom would kind of, you know, beat you with the bulletin if you misbehaved a little bit and you would, that, you'd sit up a little straighter in church, right? Maybe church for you was this like charismatic experience like we've been talking about before. Like, th like there are church, as many people in this room are the amount of different church experiences that we have as we've grown up, Right? Maybe when you hear the word church, you're thinking mostly of the place that most recently hurt you. What do you do with that when a church has these wounds? The church can inflict pain in a different kind of way. Maybe you're, maybe you're remembering a place fondly. Maybe you're not. You're trying to forget a place that had some funky things going on. The church is as unique as people are different however many different Christians there are, or how many different pieces of this puzzle that we put together and call church. And yet, I think in the book of Acts, not to oversimplify something that's complex, but I think in the book of Acts, what we see is if we strip church down to what it is meant to be at its most basic function, we see a few core things flowing through Acts 2 through Acts 6 that make the church the church. And we'll, we'll get all the way back to this verse at the very end of the message today, but I want to read it first. Acts 6, verse 7. 
It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. I, I don't know about you, but when I hear that verse, I, I ask myself the question, are we doing church correctly? Any of you ever think that? Like, I, I know this church has grown over the last little bit, but have we, have we multiplied the number of disciples in our community? Do, do people recognize in Loveland, Colorado? They're like, man, there's something going on at Good Shepherd Church where people are getting set free. People are coming to saving faith in Jesus and people are being mobilized to be effective in the kingdom there. I don't know. But that, when we, get, when we look at that verse, I go, man, the early church in the book of Acts, they were able to permeate the city that they were living in in a specific kind of way that's profound and it's beautiful. It's mysterious, but I think it's also simple what made them effective. So four things that made the early church effective. The first thing is they worshiped God. You're like, well, that's obvious. Hold on. <laughs> I don't know that that is such an obvious thing. You see, it says um, in Acts 2, in verse 42, it says, they, the followers of Jesus, what's that next word? Devoted. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves in several different areas to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship with one another, to breaking bread and the sacraments, uh, to praying together. But, but that word, I just want to highlight it for just a moment. They were devoted. Devoted to what? They were devoted to the triune God. Now, it doesn't say that specifically because the word Trinity isn't used in your Bible, but it's another concept that we know is all over the Bible. They were desperate for an encounter with the Holy Spirit. They were obsessed with the story of Jesus, and they believed in God the Father. Most of the con converts early on were already Jewish people now receiving the story of Jesus. And yes, I think it's obvious to say that one of the marks of an effective church, or the primary mark of an effective church, is that we are focused on worshiping God that should be an obvious statement in today's day and age, but unfortunately, it's not. It's not. Uh, I would say it's, it's evidenced in just the songs we sing. We, we spend a lot of time looking at the songs that we sing here, going, are these songs actually focused on us, or are they focusing our attention on God? We look, at, we look at just the directions that the song is singing. Is this a vertical song? Is this, drink, is this drawing our attention up on the throne? Or is this going, God, would you do something in this group of people here? Is this really just a prayer set to melody? Neither one's wrong, but an imbalance can get us out of focus. We, we need to make sure that we are a church that is worshiping God. We want to make sure we're a church that's opening up the scriptures and teaching the word of God. Is Jesus the hero of every sermon? That, that's something I was reminded of this week. Is that Jesus, listen, David's an awesome story, but you're not David. David, at best, is an archetype of Jesus. Like every, every Old Testament story, every New Testament story, everything that we look at should in some way point our attention up to Jesus. And yet how many churches today, sermons are reduced down to TED Talks or to nice messages that we boil them down, we make them simple and they're applicable, but they're not actually about worshiping Jesus. Our devotion needs to be stirred up towards God. That's one of the primary things that we need to do as a church. Did you know that right now the average American that considers themselves a church attender, there's only 8% of those people that read their Bible throughout the week. The latest data that's in from Barna, less than one, one out of 10 church-going Americans. I'm not talking about all Americans, right? If I said 8% of Americans read their Bible consistently, you'd be like, well, yeah, no wonder we're dealing with what we're dealing with in our country. No, no, no. That's not what I said. 8% of church-going Americans read their Bible consistently. 
Now I know we're better than the average church. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But the data would lead me to conclude there's a lot of us in this room that aren't spending consistent time throughout the week reading our Bible. You know what would bless my heart more than anything else? Is if you came up to me after a sermon some Sunday and you go, man, I've been reading about this. And I just, I don't know, I have some more questions about this. Don't listen to me, please. What do we say was the William Tyndale, the, the quote from week one, right? At the, time, at the time that William Tyndale, one of the reformers, wrote this, it was illegal to have the Bible in your own language. And the Pope, the Pope, the, the, the Catholic Church controlled the language. And in, in that, what they were trying to do was control the purity of the teaching. But William Tyndale said, I defy the Pope and all of his laws. And if God would spare my life for a few more years, then I will make it so that the plowboy, the, the, the farm boy who walks behind the horse, he'll know just as much about the Holy Scriptures as the Pope does. That is the purpose, guys, is that we would have, we collectively would have a devotion to the Lord that he would show up in our few different places. Our time, you notice as you read through Acts chapter two, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to showing up into the temple and to worshiping and to praying. Now, hey, that takes time. Parents, I love the quote and I'm challenged by the quote. If you as parents See the church as optional. Don't be surprised when, you see G- when your kids grow up to see Jesus as unnecessary. I've heard that quote several times. And I think it's true. If church is an optional part of your calendar, if sports are continually dominating what you do on Sunday mornings, if you are cons- not making time for them to see you as parents sitting in front of the word of God, don't be surprised when they grow up and see Jesus as unnecessary. Our time matters. The way they spent their time, clearly they were all over the place, devoted to Jesus with their time. It wasn't just their time, it was their money. It says, as you read on in Acts 2.42, it says that they were, they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing proceeds to all. But if you flip over to chapter four, starting in verse 32, it said, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart. See what the Holy Spirit's doing here? Bringing all these different people into one heart, into alignment for one mission, one soul, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now listen to me. When you first read this, you're like, this kind of sounds like communism. Can we be that honest in church this morning? It's not communism, it's radical generosity. What's the difference? Communism says what's yours is mine. Generosity says what's mine is yours. There is a chasm of difference between those two ideas. It is not, hey, what belongs to you now belongs to me, or what belongs to you should belong to them. That's not how this works. Generosity is what marks the early church. And they go, no, 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 whatever belongs to me, I'm gonna open it up and be generous back to you because generosity is their response to who God has been in their life. You see that? So people will commonly ask the question, hey, is tithing a part of the New Testament church? I would say you'd have a really hard time making the argument that tithing has to be a part of the New Testament church. But let me tell you how it plays out in our household. Tithing is the beginning step for Katie and I to continually be reminded every single month as we bring our 10% of our income to the church, to this church, where our family is being discipled and nourished. 
We're bringing our tithe in so that we would, I've used this analogy before, we'd continually have our hands opened up to what God has given us so that our heart would be poised towards radical generosity. I would say it this way. We would see tithing as the base building block of radical generosity in our life to go, God, whatever you want to do with our finances, we're surrendered to you. They were devoted to God, the early church, devoted to God, worshiping God with their time, their money, and their prayers. So you just, you do not see anything happening in the book of Acts without it first being like, they prayed and then this happened. Uh, There's the lame beggar at the gate. And where were Peter and John on their way to? They were on their way to the temple to what? Pray. Which gives me a few blues clues into their life that they they had a consistent pattern of prayer in their life. They were consistently praying and as they were praying, they noticed need and they responded to the need. It says after the the first sort of persecution starts in the church, Peter gives his first sermon. We talked about it last week. 3,000 people get saved. Pretty good day preaching. We joked about last week. Second sermon, 5,000 men. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, wow, okay. I'm just turning, I'm turning in my resignation now. Like that's just nowhere near what I've ever seen happen. 5,000 men, probably 10,000, 12,000 people are getting saved. This is happening as Peter's getting arrested. How cool is that? I mean, you imagine me just getting, they're slapping the cuffs on me and I'm getting drug out of here. And I'm like, so come down to the front if you'd like to receive Jesus, but you know. <laughs> it's that 5,000 men get saved, 10,000, 12,000 people. This is an amazing moment. And what does it say after that? They're arrested, they're tried, they're let go. The believers gathered together and they prayed. And what do they pray for? They pray for more boldness and more courage that even though the persecution was gonna rise up, that they would stand strong in what they knew was true. Prayers. They were devoted in their time. If Jesus isn't showing up in your calendar, if Jesus isn't showing up in your finances, and if Jesus isn't the center point figure in your prayers, I would just simply ask of yourself the question, God, am I devoted to worshiping you? Or have I maybe made church a hobby or some things that I do rather than my genuine heart's devotion? Worship to the Lord is the first thing that the early church did. The second thing they did was they preached the book. The second mark of the early church was they read and taught and preached the scriptures. Now, this is another one where you go, well, Austin, no doubt. Like I say this often to some of you guys. I, I have gotten feedback after so many sermons where you walk in here and you come up to me and you're like, man, Thank you for preaching the Bible. And my response genuinely is, what alternative is there? <laughs> but there is an alternative. That, like, absolutely, there, there are all kinds of different alternatives. They were devoted, Acts 2.42, to the apostles' teaching, to the teaching of the scriptures. If you go on, if you read in, in Paul's letters to Timothy, Lorenzo, can you throw that verse up from Timothy? Paul is encouraging a young pastor this, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, until I get back to you, what does he want want young Timothy to do? Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. What does he go on to say in his second letter? Do you know? Some of you are familiar with this verse. He's like, be careful, Timothy, because in the last days, there's going to be people who just have these itching ears that long for any sort of teacher to tickle their ears in a certain kind of way. This is what this is like. All right. How many of you are like, just know you're like, Q-tips are a bad idea? Anyone? 
Now, how many of you are like Q-tip, car key, paperclip, pen? I don't care. Like, help me out. All right. All right. So you people with your hand up right now, I'm talking to you right now. You know, you know that feeling when you're like, I got something in my ear and you're swirling that thing around in there. And then you're like, I'm going to go like an eighth inch past what's recommended by the doctor, but I'm, I'm going to get in there and get it. You know that feeling? Okay. This is the word picture that Paul's giving Timothy to say, there are going to be people in the last days. Are we in the last days? Yeah, we've been in them since then. We're in the last days. And there are going to be people who are like, I've got this itch and it won't go away until somebody just tells me exactly what it is that I want to hear. Whether that's the sexual ethic of the day, whether that's the political uh, affiliation that you should or should not have today. I mean, those are the easy ones, right? But, but to pick on the more nuanced and subtle ones, what about, what about the teaching that's just out there to tickle your ear that like, you know, you just follow after your own heart. Like, no, God just... God just wants you to be happy. Those two ideas are not in the scripture. But if you want to find them, and if you want to have them reinforced, there are churches not far from here that will reinforce whatever it is that you want to think about sexuality, whatever it is that you want to think about with politics, whatever it is that you want to think about with following your own heart, be the champion of your own destiny, whatever it is that you want to put in that category. And there are teachers that will stand on a platform like this and they will tell you exactly what it is that you want to hear. I don't want to live a life marked by following after whatever it is that I want to hear. I want to be shaped by the book. I want the scriptures to teach me what it is that I'm supposed to follow after. Look at this, back to Acts chapter five. The teachers have brought in, they brought in Peter and John. And they're like, hey, they slap them around a little bit. They're like, quit teaching about Jesus. We're charging you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answer, what do they answer? No choice, dudes. We have to obey God rather than men. Keep going, you keep going. In Acts 5, 41. They left the presence of the council. They beat them up a little bit. They sent them out. They're like, okay, don't teach anymore. And they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I, I, I hope we never get to this spot, but I hope that if we ever get to that kind of spot in the world that we're living in, that I can have the stomach to rejoice, to be worthy to count like that kind of suffering in my name, right? In Jesus' name. But then it goes on to say, this is how it concludes in Acts chapter five. And every day, so how well did they listen? Don't teach about Jesus anymore. Okay, well, every single day, they didn't cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Guys, this is what it's about. We have to make sure when we, every single time a different communicator is gonna be up on this stage. Do you know what we, we slap on the whiteboard right behind them and I, we make them go through their sermon on Thursday before Sunday. Uh, you ask Taylor, you ask Katie, you ask Caden, and they will say that moment on Thursday in front of six other staff is worse than when I actually have to get up there on Sunday. We put three words on the whiteboard. Accuracy, is this what the Bible actually says? Is this what the Bible actually teaches? Applicability, yeah, you're right, but does it matter to our life today? How are you tying it to today's day and age? And then we put authenticity up there. First of all, they all start with A's, so that felt really good, you know what I mean? <laughs> But authenticity, does this, sound, does this sound like Taylor? When Taylor, sa when Taylor preaches, it should sound like Taylor. When Katie preaches, it should sound like Katie. It shouldn't sound like me. It shouldn't sound like somebody else that you hear on the radio. No, God has gifted them specifically to preach. But all of that hinges on this word accuracy. We are 
vigilant in protecting the accuracy of what we're teaching from this stage. And if it's something that the Bible whispers on, we're not going to shout about it. But if it's something that the Bible is clear about, then we're going to try to be as clear as we possibly can be about it. Because the scriptures are the way. The humble and accurate teaching of God's word, breathed on by the Holy Spirit, is the only chance that we have for transformation in our own hearts and in the world that we're living in today. So they worshiped God. They read the scriptures. The third thing that the early church did well is they equipped the people. They equipped the people. The Bible is a storybook of ordinary people doing radical things with God to accomplish amazing things for God. This is why I said it last week. It is my desperate heart cry as your pastor. What I'm praying about every single day is that God would do something powerful in your life specifically, and that he would then be able to do something powerfully through your life. I want God to touch you powerfully so that you can reach others powerfully for his name's sake, right? This is like, we want to be Ephesians chapter four. It says there are certain gifts given to the church, apostles, teachers, prophets, evangelists, pastors, given to the church to equip the saints then, all of us, for what? For the work of ministry. This is not a one-man show. This is not the staff show either. This is us gathered together, desiring that we would be equipped by the Spirit of God, unleashed for the kingdom of God, so that every single one of us would be effective at doing the things that he wants us to do. If you think what church is, is this reduction down to 30 minutes of singing, 40 minutes of some guy talking so that I can then go out and come back next week, that, then we have failed you as your leaders here. No, what I'm consistently trying to do is whatever information just got in here, God, will you put it in here? And now God, now that we've gathered in here and done this whole integration right here, send us out and help us make a difference in the world that we're living in right now. Because you each are ambassadors for Christ. You each are ministers of reconciliation. That is not on me. That's every single one of us. When Peter and John, they, they right, after, right after the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens, tongues of fire, it's crazy, right? And then you, you read this story about Peter and John are going to the temple and they're going to pray and they pass this guy who's been lame since birth. And we know later on in the story that he's over 40 years old. So for 40 years, this guy has sat outside of the temple just asking for people to give him some money. And Peter and John are walking next to him. He asks for money and they say, I don't have any money to give you, but what I do give you, you receive it now. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And that man's legs are strengthened in a moment. I don't even want to know what that looked like. I'm, I do want to know what that looked like. It'd be crazy, right? Legs are strengthened. He stands up, he walks. And this creates quite a scene. Because how many of y'all know, if you saw some beggar, that, as if there was a beggar in Loveland for 40 years that we all passed by every single day, and that dude all of a sudden was different, we would notice, Right? That's what happens. And, and so religious leaders of the day, they, they gather, they bring them in. And it says the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who, uh, who were of the high priestly family. And when they'd set them, Peter and John, in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, again, look at this phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, so the one-time filling at Pentecost wasn't it. That wasn't when it was over. But in, the, in a moment again, he's, he's filled again, supernaturally. The Holy Spirit pours out on him again. We should be seeking a constant filling from the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says to them, rulers of the people and elders. And he just, he just goes off on them. 
He's like, Jesus Christ, who you killed, he was the cornerstone and you killed him and it's your fault. And, no, no. and the rulers and the elders react this way. Acts 4.13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. Right? I've joked about this all the time. If you've been here, you're sick of this joke already. But the root word for that word uneducated is the same word that we get the American word or English word idiot from. So these religious leaders are just looking at John he's just, or Peter as he's just ranting off about Jesus and how they killed him. And he's just all fire. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm amazed. This guy's a total moron. But it's clear that he'd been with Jesus. It's clear that he knew this guy. Goes on to say, he beats him up, lets him, lets him go. Acts 4, 29, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders were performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word with God with boldness. Why do I bring that story up? Because Peter and John were uneducated common men. I think so much of the deterrent for us wanting to engage in evangelism or to tell our friends about Jesus or to invite our friends to church or to pray for somebody else is we just we're like, I, I just am not that good. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I can't defend the Bible. I don't know all the verses that the pastors know. I don't, I don't got it all in me. Well, guess what? Peter and John were uneducated common men. And when they, when they went on trial, they got beat up. They got sent out of there. They went and they prayed to the believers. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He falls on all the believers to do what? Continue. And they filled them with all the intricate, deep theological workings of the entire Bible. No, it says they filled them with boldness. You can get pretty far with boldness if you're kind in it. You don't have to know every answer. But, but the church at best, what we do is we equip saints for the work of ministry to say, no, hey, you've got this. You've got a circle in your life right now. You've got people who are like the, the lame beggar at the gate where you go, man, if this person received Christ, then my whole family would start showing up at church. Man, if this person in my office received Jesus, man, I would be able to have so many great stories of what God would do in this whole workplace, Right? You each have a circle where you hang out, where you play, where you work, where you spend time with your family. And Jesus wants to use you to show up in those places. I think we've just done a pretty poor job as the church in North America where we say, hey, just bring them to church and we'll disciple them and we'll preach to them. And listen, we want to create avenues for discipleship. And I already said, we want to preach biblically serious sermons. But don't let that replace your work as the missionary, wherever it is that you are, to be the ambassador or representative of Jesus where you're already at. That is your call. It says in Acts chapter 6, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, they run into this like administrative problem. Some of the widows aren't getting paid with some of the distribution. So the church is, you, you can feel this, right? Like I can feel this for sure. The church is growing and they're starting to hit some like bumps in how they're caring for people. They're not like administratively doing it all. And it says, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, hey, it's, it's not right that we should give up uh, preaching the word of God to serve tables. What they're saying is, hey, actually, maybe some of us have been gifted for this space, but maybe other people have been gifted for this space. 
Like, why, why is it that the preacher should go out and handle the administrative tasks of making sure that everyone gets their daily portion? And, and, and it's like the early church is having this epiphany. Hold on, we got to equip other people to do some work around here. It can't all just be on us few. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir right now because I just spoke at our serve team night of everyone who's on the serve team. We have 300 of y'all who are serving consistently to make church happen every single week. That's an amazing thing. But please hear me. Your spiritual gifts were never meant to just terminate in you serving coffee on a Sunday morning. Now, God bless you. We need some people to serve coffee on Sunday morning. Yeah, thank you for that amen, whoever said it. We switched from Starbucks to Lima. It's good now, all right? We got, the, we got some of the best coffee in town. Somebody needs to make that coffee. But just because you're serving coffee does not mean that you are exercising fully your spiritual gift of hospitality. And I think we spend so much time as churches trying to map over all the lists of spiritual gifts onto the work for Sunday morning when what we should really say is, hey, on Sunday morning, just like at Thanksgiving dinner, somebody's got to cut up potatoes and serve them. And I don't think it really takes a spiritual gift to just be a warm, smiling face to open the door to greet somebody. But that makes a world of difference for someone who hasn't been in church in a while and they get a smile and a high five and a hug when they walk in and suddenly they're like, I could belong here. That's huge. But we're setting the table. Your, like your spiritual gifts were always meant to exist far beyond this 40-minute gathering on Sunday, minute, Sunday mornings. Always. Now, some of them, like, might be gift with, gifted with healing or like some sort of prophetic word or like some ability to discern God's voice, man, absolutely join our prayer team. But our prayer team will tell you, they don't just pray for people here on Sunday mornings. They're praying for people all over the dang place. And so it is supposed to be with whatever it is that your spiritual gift is. Use it for the kingdom, not just for your church, right? All right, the fourth thing, they reached the city. They reached the city. This message really concludes the first segment of Acts 1.8, where it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. If you follow the story, man, this, this thing is just catching fire in Jerusalem, this story of Jesus. And there are people getting healed. There are people getting set free. There are people going out and preaching with boldness, people coming to saving faith in Jesus. And it, like, it's happening. It's blowing up. It's taking off. And it says in Acts 6, 7, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Like all of a sudden, it's just like, man, there aren't just people attending a church. There are disciples who are coming to save in faith in Jesus and it's happening all over our city. I, I am continually all the more concerned about the state of the church, hear me, in Loveland, Colorado. This is a little heart-to-heart -heart moment, okay? I think it's awesome that our church has been really healthy. And if you look at the numbers, I'll, I'll read you some of the numbers. I've pastored now through four Augusts at this church, which is kind of hard to believe, isn't it? Some of you are all like, man, I can't believe you made it that long. I'm like, I know, I'm with you. <laughs> can't believe y'all kept showing up. But uh, in 2020, August of 2020, last, last weekend in August, 232 adults, or how many adults came to our Sunday service? In 2021, there were 387. In 2022, there were 455. And in last August, just a few weeks ago, there were 688 adults. Praise God. Praise God. I said this to the serve team. I'll say it to you now. That's far more on you guys creating an environment of connectedness, friendliness, and kindness on Sunday morning than that is about Caden or I doing what we do on Sunday mornings up here. 
Just know that and, and own that, please. Continue to welcome people in. Continue to introduce yourself to people that you've already introduced yourself to like four times. You'll just join the club. I'm the president, okay? <laughs> Hi, nice to meet you. We already met. I'm so sorry, you know? <laughs> I'm outnumbered, right? But listen to me. I, I, talk, I talked, this was probably six months ago. I had a conversation with a friend who was a youth pastor across town. We met when I was in youth ministry as well. I was like, oh, dude, it's good, so good to see you. How's it going? Are you still the youth pastor of that church? No. Well, what happened? Did you get let go or like church changed its direction or like what happened? He's like, no, just there's no youth in the church anymore. Church, actually, the church is like 40, 50 people. It was three or 400 people. I'm concerned about the church in our city. Even some of you, like I, I love you. I'm glad you're here, but you're not a new disciple just because you're attending here newly. You came from another church and I'm, I'm not trying to say that there are not good reasons to shift up what church you're attending. I'm just deeply concerned as a pastor that the faux victory that we're feeling here at Good Shepherd Church is like, oh, the needle's moving in Loveland when really, I think it's going the other direction. And I just, I just got to ask the question, like, have you seen someone come to saving faith recently, personally? Have you led someone to Jesus recently? Uh, listen, I, I, you know when you're writing a sermon and you reach that point where you're like, what is this sermon even about? You know, like, what's it for? You know that feeling? Just me? Okay, cool. <laughs> I, I woke up this morning. I'm going to be that honest with you. I woke up this morning going like, yeah, like, I think my sermon's right. I think it's accurate. I think it's applicable. But like, what, why does it matter? <laughs> you know, four marks of an effective church. Cool. And then I was reminded that on, uh, on Friday morning, Katie and I were, were leaving the gym, Choose Fitness. I see half of you all over at Choose Fitness. We're going to make gym Good Shepherd t-shirts for Choose at some point. We're just, we're going to have to, you know what I mean? We're leaving the gym and we see this guy. I'm sure some of you all, you probably even can picture in your mind who I'm talking about. We see this guy and Katie and I have seen him for months, honestly. And he just, he looks like he's struggling with some sort of mental health problem. You know, I, I don't know, I don't know what's going on in his life. Maybe not, but the way he crosses the street, the way he, he goes between King Supers and Chews, you know, just my wife has a ton of compassion and she sees people like that. And we're leaving the gym and, and you know, Chews, half of y'all go there, right? So it's like the parking lot's full. So we had to park around the side corner of the building, you know? We park over there and there he is, like back in the corner of the parking lot back there. There's a little gate that goes back into like nothing. I don't know, some canal or something like that. And he's standing there and Katie's like, ah, oh. she's like, let's, let's go talk to him. And like, I'm the rational human being in our family. Like, I'm like, like, babe, I'll pray for that guy when I'm not with you, but I'm not taking my wife over to pray for some strange dude who's clearly got some stuff going on in his life, right? I'm just like, no, we're not doing that. Literally, this is your pastor just being this honest with you this morning. Okay, so I literally get in the truck and I'm driving the other way and she kind of like does this, he does this thing because Katie is by far the more compassionate, caring one of the two of us. She just kind of puts her hand on my arm and she says, hey, let's turn around. Like, ah, you know, at that moment, husbands, you're right. You're like, checkmate. All right, let's go. <laughs> so we turn around and we just have this conversation with this guy. And I'd, I'd love to stand up here this morning and tell you like, man, he, you know, received this total freedom and, you know what he said? He just like, he's like, thanks for caring. We had a totally normal conversation for the most part. And I, I thought of that guy. Like some of y'all, you know exactly who it is that I'm talking about. Like what if that guy came to saving faith in Jesus? What if he had this total life transformation? Do you know how many people in Loveland would just go, I've seen that guy. He's different now. What happened? 
And not to use this guy as the only example, I'm just saying there's somebody in your life right now already who is that person. And you're just, we're just not talking to them about Jesus because we're, we're afraid, it feels uncomfortable. And I just, the, the early believers, what they prayed for at that first level of, that first taste of persecution, Peter and John get beat up. I imagine they're, they probably got blood running down their face. It's probably stained their clothes. Like they didn't have Tide back then. They weren't throwing things in the washing machine before they showed back up at the prayer gathering, put on their fresh kicks. No, like that wasn't the thing, right? They're probably battered, bloodied, bruised. And they showed up and they're like, believers just go, let's just pray for more boldness for this to happen more. Let's just pray, let's just pray that we'd have boldness to go out and share the gospel. Listen, look at me. Do you have boldness when it comes to your worship for God? Or are you too conscious of what other people will think of you? Do you have boldness when it comes to talking about Jesus, sharing your faith, sharing what the Bible actually has to say? Or, or do you kind of buckle and fold when you get into those moments when the topic and the conversation gets a little tough? What about for equipping saints? you know how hard it is to let go of control and let your, let your kids do something else or let other people go do something else? Or, or are you like, no, hey, you can do this. The Spirit of God is in you just like he's in me. You can do this. Be equipped. And are we, are we, church, are we reaching our city? I just don't know that we are. And so we're gonna receive communion here as we end today. But as we end, if you didn't grab communion, you can, you can just kind of throw your hand up in the air. We'll have some people walk it down and they'll hand you some communion. Um, but before we receive, before you take, uh, take the bread and take the juice, before you kind of like have this moment with Christ where you accept his washing, maybe can we ask the question like, am I, am I timid or am I bold when it comes to my faith? And let's just like, listen, if, if I can't share that story and you still feel like you got to pretend with the church mask on that you're the most, like you're the apostle Paul out there doing his thing, you know, maybe, maybe my vulnerability can just give you permission to go like, I'm just, I'm so timid. I'm just, I'm, maybe, maybe your moment here is just like, I'm just not that devoted to you, Jesus. I'm not, I'm the, I'm one of the 92% of church going Americans who's not reading my Bible every day. It's just like, I'm not devoted. I'm, I'm not the one who's going out there and sharing my faith. I'm not the one who's going out there and offering to pray for people. Maybe what your prayer is before you receive communion today is like, Spirit of God, would you just fill me with boldness to do the things that you've already called me to do? I don't think you have to like sell your house and move across the country or move to Africa to go be a missionary. I think you're probably already called to be a missionary exactly where it is that you are. While you're in Loveland Coffee, having another date morning, or while you're, while you're going about your job, you're retired and so you, you have just your grandkids. Well, there you go. There they are. Your coworkers, your kids' peers on their sports team. There's opportunities and there's chance. I just wonder if boldness is what we're missing, right? So I just want to spend just a minute. Maybe you could just pray for the church in Loveland. When we see disciples made, when we see people come to saving faith, not just people fill a church. I love a full church. It's so much fun. But I want to move the needle in the kingdom. So Holy Spirit, we just pray that you'd come. Come right now. Fill us up and touch us just like you did last week.
fill us with courage and boldness. Even right now, if you just like, I, I am, <laughs> I thought this this morning, huh? if you need prayer for being more courageous, would you just kind of turn your heart, your hands up towards heaven like this? And you're probably thinking to yourself, like, I'm not even courageous enough to do that. <laughs> but would you just right now step out in faith? God, just like those disciples gathered together, watching their leaders get beat up and bloodied. They didn't pray that that would never happen to them. They prayed for courage and boldness for them to do it themselves. Fill us up with the strength and the courage it takes to go and be your witnesses in the city we're living in. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If we can, all around the room, we just open our hands up to heaven.